Everyone has a story. With moments of longing, confusion, pain, and sadness. But we have been invited. We have been invited to be a part of a greater story. To be a part of a greater story. A greater story. One of hope. One of hope. Love. Peace. And healing. This is God's story. God's story. Our story. Our story. Your story. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. A story of immeasurably more. Good morning, church. Good morning. Wow, I love what God's doing. I love worship and being in His presence and being together. Uh, we are in a great series right now called Immeasurably More, and God is challenging us and what it means to live this life. Now, our series is based on this verse in Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. And we're challenging our community group to memorize this verse. So I'm going to challenge you guys, all right? So let's memorize this at some point. But it is so deep. It's so rich for us. But it simply says this in Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. It says, Now to him, that's God, who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And I love, I love, I love that. Because your biggest dreams for your life or for, you know, your ministry or your call, your biggest dreams, they pale because God's got even bigger dreams. God wants to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. And listen to this part, right? According to his power that is at work within us. It's not that we accomplish it. It's God accomplishing it through us according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church. That's us, the body of Christ, the church, right? And in Christ Jesus, his one and only son, and through all generations forever and ever. Amen. And so we get to be a part of something way bigger than ourselves, something only God can do. Now, in our series, we've looked at this, that this is God's story, and we are seeing God redeeming and restoring. This is his story. History is all of his story unfolding. We are a part of that. But this is also our story, our story as a church, as we lock arms, as we serve together in our community and in the world for the glory of God. But it's also your story. And so as we turn the page and start to look at what is the story God's writing in you, because God's not finished with any of us yet. God still has a plan or a purpose for our lives. There's a reason we still have breath in our lungs. God is at work in us. And so what is that story that God's writing in you? So many people live with a scarcity mentality, don't they? So many people live with a scarcity mentality. When you have a scarcity mentality, you think everything's going to leave. And so, you know, you're, you're, you think there's a, a scarcity of hope or resources or a scarcity of love. And, and so you do everything to hold that. And you put your arms around it. And you're afraid because you think you're going to lose it. But God's saying, hey, lift your head and watch me do immeasurably more. Watch the abundance of my grace. Watch the abundance of my love. Watch me do something in your life you've never dreamed or even imagined. And so we said in order to experience this immeasurably more life, number one is this, you have to open your eyes. <laughs> you just open your eyes to what God's doing. Open your eyes. And we had this little mantra, right? It's about faith, not fear. And so often we live with fear. And God's saying, you don't have to live with fear. You know, Philippians, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. The second week we talked about this, joining the journey. In joining in the journey, we have to understand that it's about obedience and not outcome. We all want to know the outcome. God, tell me what you're going to do, you know, and, and then I'll decide if I'm going to join you in that. And God's going, no, I'm inviting you to join me. You be obedient. You be obedient. And then watch what I'll do. The third week we talked about, hey, move over for a miracle. Align your heart with the heart of God. 
And when you and I begin to understand God's heart and God loves, God loves people. God's heart is redemption. God's heart is reconciliation. And when you and I begin to move over and do a line with his heart, that's where we see miracles happen. Last week we talked about bust through the roadblocks. That Satan doesn't want us to succeed. Satan wants us to be complacent. Satan wants us to sit back in our spiritual growth and our spiritual life. And at some point, we have to push past those roadblocks. Now, many times, Satan doesn't bring new temptations in our lives because we keep falling for the same old ones, right? And God's going, hey, push past that. Come on. It's by my power at work within you. And when we begin to push through those things and say, hey, I'm not going to settle for a comfortable life. I'm not going to settle for a life of fear. I'm going to settle for God and God only, and I'm going to follow him. And today we're going to talk about this, jump in heart first. (laughs) Jump into the story that God is writing for you. Man, I love this. So if you have a Bible with you this morning, open with me to the book of Philippians. Philippians, New Testament. We're going to be Philippians chapter 1, verses 3 through 11 today as we unpack the Word of God together. If you don't have a Bible, we have a free Bible for you. love for you to go to the back, pick one up. It's yours. Keep it. Mark it. Underline it. Because the Word of God is transformational. And we believe and we know here at Rolling Hills, we're going to teach the Word of God every week because we know the Word of God does not return void. And what God does and what He speaks to us through His Word. So if you're watching online, hey, grab a mobile device, pick up on version, follow along with us. But here's what God's word has to say. Now, the Apostle Paul is writing here in Philippians, and he's writing from prison. Last week he was in prison. It was his second imprisonment, as we saw, you know, in 2 Timothy. But this week he's in prison in Rome, and he's writing to the church in Philippi. And Paul is there. Now, he's under house arrest, so there's people who are coming to see him. But he starts to think, when you're in prison, you know, you kind of start to think about the things that are important, right? You think about the big picture things. And and Paul starts to think about this church here in Philippi. He writes this letter back to them. And in verse 3, he says, hey, I thank my God. I thank my God every time I remember you. And Paul's just thinking about the people in the church. He had planted this church years ago. If you go to Acts chapter 16, you can uh, spend some time unpacking the people in the church there in Philippi. And maybe later on, if you want to spend some time this afternoon or just reading through Acts 16, it's amazing. But But in the church in Philippi, when the Apostle Paul came and Silas was there, and they go down to the river and they meet this woman named Lydia. And Lydia was a dealer in purple cloth. She was a businesswoman. And and so they have the opportunity. They're down by the river and she starts asking what they're doing. And they have the chance to share with her about Jesus. And she comes to know the Lord. And she says, hey, why don't you guys come to my house? You know, and come over here. And many believe that's where the church in Philippi met was at the house of Lydia. But her whole family comes to know Christ. They're all baptized. And one day Paul's walking along and the slave girl's following him. And she's shouting these things because she had this evil spirit. And she's like, these are messengers of the most high God. And finally Paul was like, stop. And he, he cast his spirit out of her. And her owners are so upset because they had made a lot of money off her. That's what the Bible says in Acts chapter 16. They were just using her. And they're so mad that they have Paul and Silas thrown in jail, but there's a slave girl that's now a part of the church. And while they're in jail, Paul and Silas, after being beaten, are in jail, and late at night, about midnight, they're just worshiping. They're singing worship songs. They're praising God. And all the other prisoners are listening to them. And then God shows up, and he shakes the prison, and the doors fly open. And the jailer, man, this guy is upstanding, great job, Roman army, you know, 
He reaches over and grabs his sword because he's gonna kill himself because he thinks all the prisoners have escaped. And if you're a Roman soldier and prisoners escape, they kill you. And so he's just gonna take the opportunity to do it himself. And he grabs his sword and Paul goes, wait, 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 we're all here. We haven't left. Nobody's gone anywhere. And the jailer falls on his knees and says, hey, what must I do to be saved? And he gives his life to Christ. And then his whole family's baptized. So the church in Philippi, it's ordinary people. A lot of times we look at people in the Bible and we think there was something extraordinary going on there. You know what was extraordinary was God. (laughs) These were ordinary people who encountered an extraordinary God, just like you, just like me. And what God wants to do in our life, and God was writing an immeasurably more story in them. And God's doing it in us. Pick up at verse four, he says, hey, I thank my God every time I remember you. And then he says, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. I love that. I love Philippians because it's such a joyful book. I mean, you know, even in prison, Paul's just like, man, what we have in Christ, you guys. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I love that word partnership because that really is what church is. You know, we're locking arms together. We're serving God together locally, internationally. We're serving God in our families. We're we're making a difference for the glory of God. And look at verse six, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. You remember when you first responded to Christ? You remember as God drew you to himself and maybe you were seven or eight or maybe you were in middle school, maybe you were in high school and and a friend invited you to church or maybe in college and somebody sat down with you and said, hey man, I love you so much. I wanna tell you what God's doing in my life and you were just like, wow. Or maybe you were a young adult, or maybe, maybe you've just come to know Christ recently here at Rolling Hills, praise God. And, but, but he says, listen, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus, right? He's saying this, church, God's not finished with you. He's saying, hey, individual follower of Christ, God's not finished with you. You know, you don't retire, you don't step back. God is still writing a greater story. Paul says, I'm confident about that, that he who began this good work will carry it on, and God's gonna carry it on in you. And then he keeps going, and he says, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I I have you in my heart, for whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me, and God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And you you see Paul, who just pastored this church, he planted the church, man, he loves the church. Loves the church. Some people say, well, I love Christ, but I don't love the church. You're like, really? I mean, that that doesn't make sense. I mean, the church is the body of Christ. The church is the bride of Christ. The church isn't perfect. The church makes mistakes. There is no perfect church, but, but you should love the church. Lock arms together. And then he says, hey, in verse nine, if this is my prayer, I love that because a lot of times people say, well, I'm praying for you. And you always go, well, what are you praying? You know, what are you, I, mean, I love that people pray for you. And I, but what are you praying? And here Paul says, I'm praying three things. He says, first, I'm praying love. I'm praying that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. He says, I'm praying that you grow in your love. You know, when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? What did he say? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And he said the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All right, this vertical, this horizontal is love. And every day we should be growing in our love. 
We should be growing in our love for God, growing in our love for others. He says, hey, I want your love to abound more and more. As you know more about God, as you dive deeper into God, what should grow in you is love. Here's the second thing he says. Hey, I'm praying for discernment. He says, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. He says, I want you to discern what is best. Now, discernment is something we all need, right? We all need to understand what God wants us to do. And our God is not a God of confusion. Our God is a God of clarity. He wants us to know. And so Paul says, my prayer is that you would discern what is best. Most of our decisions are not between what's good and bad, right? I mean, they're just not. They're between what's good and best. Do we discern that? Are we walking with the Lord? Are we growing in our discernment? And the third thing he prays for them is that they would grow in their character, right? He says, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Character is who you are when no one is watching. <laughs> That's your character. And he says, I hope you grow in the fruit of righteousness that comes from Christ, that Christ would so fill you, that you'd be a character in your, in your home, a person of character in your, in your workplace, a person of character in all of your relationships, that you would radiate Christ. Why? Well, to the glory and praise of God. That we would bring glory to God. That our lives would be a living testimony to the God that we serve. So how do we bring glory to God? Well, we do what God calls us to do, right? And we grow. We become conformed to the image of Jesus. Now, there's God's universal will for all believers. God has a universal will. When you come to know Christ, God has a universal will for all believers. And here's some things about his universal will. Number one is that we would worship. Worship is our response back to God for who he is and for what he's done in our lives. So it's so important that we're here today. I'm so glad we're here. And we're saying, hey, the first part of the week, we're dedicated to God. We're going to set our minds and our hearts on God. We're going to worship. Worship is something for all believers. There's discipleship. Discipleship is a universal will for all believers. That our lives look more and more like Christ. That we grow deeper in our faith. That we grow deeper in the word. Discipleship. Evangelism is something for all of us. Now, many times I go, I don't know. I'm not really an evangelist. I think God's calling you to, to go stand on a street corner with a sign. I mean, he may. But, but probably what he's calling you to do is to share the good news. Somebody shared Christ with you, Right? I mean, somebody sat down with you, and whether it was your mom or your dad or a grandparent or a friend or a college roommate, somebody shared with you, and God's just going, I want you to share the good news with others. I want you to let people know. A fourth universal will is fellowship, that you are a part of a body, that you're a part of a community. That's why it's so important for us, because God doesn't want us to go through life alone. God gives us the body of Christ. The fifth is ministry that we all realize that we have gifts and talents, gifts of the Spirit, to do ministry, to further God's kingdom. And when we begin to use those, man, that's when we flourish spiritually. So God has a universal will for us, but God also has a very specific will for your life. Have you ever thought about that? God has a very specific will for your life. You, you pray about what college should I go to, right? What job should I take? What person should I date? And what career should I have? These are things that we pray about. And God says, I have a specific will for you. I want you to achieve this will that I have in your life. Look over at Romans, Romans chapter 12. 
I think this is so important. Romans chapter 12, verses one through two. It says, therefore I urge you brothers in view of God's mercy. He says, in light of what God's done for you, right? In light of his mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God, this is your spiritual act of worship. So worship isn't just coming in and singing four or five songs and going out. Worship is living a life of response back to God, of bringing glory to God. That's your spiritual act of worship. He says, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So worship, right, is falling more in love with God, the renewing of your mind, growing in your character. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, right? So this is discernment. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. And then he says, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Notice that. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. I think as we look back over our lives, many times we go, oh, there was a decision that I made that I know that wasn't what God wanted me to do. And what God does is he takes and he redeems that. See, not all of our decisions are good decisions, but God can bring good out of that. But what God wants us to know is, hey, don't just settle for my goodwill or my pleasing will. I have a perfect will for you. And I want you to know that. And I want you to follow me. And I want you to trust me. And I want you to grow in me. And as you and I, from this point forward, say, God, what do you want to do in me for your glory? And we begin to listen. God will speak. And God says, I want you to follow me. Now, we're not all perfect. We're all going to make mistakes. There's going to be times we're going to mess up. And God's going to take and he's going to redeem and he's going to restore and he's going to make things right. But God says, hey, I've got a plan for you. Would you trust me? Would you follow? Because I want to do immeasurably more in your life. I want you to hear from a couple in our church, and I want you to hear a little bit of their story. And listen for this as you hear their story unfold. Ryan and Annette, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Tell us a little bit about your life before, you know, kind of what was happening, how you guys met. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, we were um, living in Los Angeles, California, and um, in 2009, I met Nanette at Cal State North, Northridge. Shortly thereafter, we were married and um, we were living in San Fernando Valley. We were just in a place where we felt like we needed a change. And uh, we weren't really attending a church uh, consistently. It just got to a point where uh, we just felt like there was something greater. And, uh, and so I decided to start looking into um, pursuing uh, a move here to Nashville uh, through my work, and um, we started talking about that. Um, and I wasn't on board at all. Yeah. I, with both of our families there, we had our um, oldest Elliot at the time, and with both of our families there, it just didn't seem like a smart thing to move away from family when you have little children like that um, and planning to have more. And we were, it. I just wasn't on board at first. Um, and then I ended up attending my sister's baptism. Um, by my, I, nobody else from our family was able to go at that point, but um, I was there with her. And we attended the service beforehand, and it was just, it was incredible. It was an amazing service. Um, during the service, I so clearly felt God talk to me for the very first time. 
um, I very clearly heard him give, give me three specific things that he wanted me to do. And I, I at first didn't know if it was real, if that was it. But, you know, after speaking with my sister and, and praying about it and talking to different people, I just knew that this was really literally instructions from God. Um, and the three things he told me was, first of all, to um, get on board with Ryan to move to Tennessee. That was the first step. Um, second of all, to get baptized myself. And then thirdly, to, um, to work at the church, which all three of those things just seemed very out there to me. At the time, I didn't know that this was something that I could do. <laughs> um, so it was a big step of obedience for me to be saying, okay, I'll move away from, you know, my family, especially at that time, because my mom had just been through cancer, and I, I couldn't imagine moving away from her at this point. Um, but I remember on the way back in the car from the airport when Ryan picked me up from this trip to, to go see my sister get baptized, uh, I immediately told him, I said, this is, I clearly heard God, and I think we're, you know, we're ready to move. I think you need to start, you know, making the moves and talking to the right people, and getting that in. And so um, he did, and about a year and a half later, we were able to get both of our jobs to transfer us over to Nashville, and that was a blessing within itself that neither of us had to leave our job. Um, and so we did, and it was a big, big move. It was a lot of work, but um, you know, we came here, and about three weeks later, we found Rolling Hills, and that was a game changer for us. Um, we immediately got um, involved with small groups, and um, it just felt like we had a family away from home. Yeah. Um, and her having never been more than an hour away from her parents now <laughs> across the country um, it was, our was a big deal. Yeah. And, and for us to, to come here to Tennessee and um, not feel like we're alone, um, and to feel like we're, we're doing the right thing. Um, God has us on the right path, um, and there's a reason we're here. Um, made a huge difference for us. And so that's, we got to a point where, um, you know, you guys were talking a lot about next steps and all of that, and baptism I knew was that number two on that list that God gave me. And so I started kind of, I went to the baptism class, and it um, was wonderful. I remember, just at that time in our life, we were, I mean, we were all kind of growing our faith at that point. I was, my next step with, was baptism, and I um, did it, and the next, the very next day, uh, at the time I was very, very unhappy in, in my job. Um, the very next day, the Monday after Easter, which is when I was baptized, um, I got a call from my my boss who had then said that they had to let me go because it was it, there were financial troubles and they needed to let a significant portion of the company go um, and in that moment it was I knew on paper it was one of the things that that was really scary but I did not feel any kind of fear I was just it was relief and it was complete peace knowing that the day after my baptism that he just took control of a situation that was making me very upset and, and unhappy. And I, I couldn't even believe, the other good part of that was that I did, got to stay home with um, our youngest at the time, who was only like three months old, Avery, for an extra few months um, and just be with him and spend my attention and time on him. 
And then after that, I, <laughs> that was done, baptism was done. The next thing was, um, was working at the church. And that seemed completely impossible to me. I knew that we were not planning to move from Rolling Hills. We were gonna be, you know, partners there. And I just knew that if I wanted to work at the church, it would have to be at Rolling Hills. And I didn't know how that was gonna happen. Um, and then about two months later, when we, almost to the week where we were running out of, of our you know, savings money, um, where we were able to make it happen, I got a call from Rolling Hills and said that there was a position open and you know we wanted you to apply and see if, if you're the right fit. And I went to the interview and it was amazing. And, um, and here we are, and now I work at the church. <laughs> and it's been so wonderful. It's been, I think, me working at the church and having it being such a huge part of our lives now has just changed everything for us. You know, we're, we've, we have a true family here in Tennessee. We have, I see so many times at events and stuff, we see how wonderful the kids are doing. And even at home, you know, Elliot comes home and he's just singing little worship songs from the preschool area and he's telling me Bible stories and it's just, it's been an incredible, incredible move for us. and. Uh, the church has been more than I could ever have thought and imagined, you know, just having, uh, being that happy. Shortly after that, Ryan got a big promotion at work and we were kind of thinking, okay, what's, what's our next, what's our next step now? I've been baptized, you know, what are we doing now? And, um, we had made a commitment to, um, to start giving and we weren't tithing at that point. Um, but we made a commitment to start giving, and um, and then I got this promotion um, last summer. And uh, shortly after that, we were kind of looking at our finances. And you had done a sermon on the 80-10-10 model: 80 live on 80 percent, tithe 10 percent, save 10 percent. And it just was—it really was the Lord just showing us. Listen, you guys are, this is the next thing that I'm calling you to do, is to tithe. Um, and we thought that we weren't able to do that. We really, we were like, well, this is, this is a lot of money, you know, every month, how do we do this? Um, but then one day we were doing our finances and it was like it just jumped off the page that we had, the last month we had spent 80%, yeah. we, had, um, we had saved 20%. And if we divided that up, it would be, you know, the 10-10. And so it just was like, okay, well, God set us up for this. We have to start. You know, for me at first, <laughs> it was one of those things that was, um, it was difficult to, to get on board right away just because, um, you know, I've had this plan for our family to, um, to get into a house, to move us here, to um, really just further our lives as a family and, uh, you know, looking at giving up 10% um, was difficult, but, you know, we prayed about it and I just knew God was calling us to do it. And so um, we started tithing um, and, you know, within, really within, what, six months, we find ourselves now having just bought a home, our first home here in Franklin. Which when um, we started, tithing, we didn't see that that would be yeah. an option at all. Um, and, and even 
within those six months too, just having every single thing that we're monetarily worried about, you know, it's like he just provides. He just takes care of it. He, it's every single time. And it's to the point now where I almost feel like when these things come up, I'm like, okay, well, this is scary, but I just know that it's not a problem. It's going gonna, it's gonna to work. And um, it's just been incredible to see that extreme faithfulness from, from him. Tell me, we, what would you say to people just to encourage them? Uh, in their own personal journey with the Lord and really kind of as they step into this immeasurably more life and talk about what, how would you encourage people? Obedience. Um, you know, there are definitely times where um, in the past too where I've, I've heard certain things and I just, I neglect them um, or I push them aside. And so I, I really think just listening to what God's telling you to do um, and to, to dive in you know, you're not going to know how things are going to end up, but I think if you, if you just continue um, pursuing His path, that you're going to find yourselves uh, on on the other side um, in a much better way. It's it's really scary sometimes. God will call you to do things that you can't imagine yourself doing, and will push you out of your comfort zone. But those things will set you up to get where He wants you to get which is a place that you can't even dream up yourself. It's a trust that you start building with the Lord and you just know, okay, God, you've done it before. Just help me through this one too. And he does every time. He shows up every single time. It's been incredible. And it's not always in the way that you think, but when he does, it's so much better than you thought. Guys, we're all a work in progress, aren't we? And God's not finished with us. And so hopefully when you came in this morning, you received a devotional guide. And, and I want to challenge you for the next seven days to commit to spend 10 minutes with the Lord and walk through this. Because God's writing this immeasurably more story in you. And, and what God wants to do in you, man, you can't even dream or even imagine. And for you to understand all that God wants to do in your, in your marriage or in your family or in your career or your ministry, all those things that God has for you. It's amazing to me how we'll spend so much time planning a vacation you know, that lasts for a week, or, or planning our retirement that, that lasts for a little while. But, but these are matters of eternity. These are matters that impact forever. And so I wanna encourage you about this. Now, as you discover your immeasurably more story, here's some things, seven steps for you. Just number one is this, focus on Christ, right? It's Christ and Christ alone. The Bible says, therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. So say, Christ, what do you want from me? Not just what are my plans, and God, you bless them. No, no, God, what do you want? I want to give it to you. Focus on Christ. Number two, ask God to reveal his will for you. You know, if you go back to Acts 16, the apostle Paul was headed to Asia. He was going on a mission trip to Asia. And he started praying, God, what do you want me to do? And God spoke to him, right, through, through this vision of a man in Macedonia saying, come over here. And so Paul shifts over and goes to Philippi. And God had a whole plan. We wouldn't even have the book of Philippians if Paul hadn't listened to God and been obedient then. So God will speak to you. Just say, ask God, what reveal your will to me? And I'm telling you, through reading his word, through a song, through something, God's going to speak to you. Here's the third thing. Identify your current passions. Think about this statement. What fills your joy bucket? What, what, what fills your joy bucket? What, what, when you are... When you are so excited, when you're so happy, how do you start moving your life toward that? How do you identify your passion? 
Uh, this past Thursday, we had our men's leadership network, and, and Isaac Meek, uh, Isaac and his wife Stephanie, part of the church, and, and Isaac, you know, he said, hey, I was, I was a CFO. I was doing accounting at this, at this firm, and he goes, and I was good at it, but it, but it was draining me. It was just wearing me out. He said, so my wife and I started to pray, and we're praying, we're praying, we're praying, and my wife one day said, well, what do you, what do you like to do? How did God wire you? What are your passions? And he said, well, I like to bake. And he said, I've never done anything baking. I baked for my kids, and that's it. But he goes, I really liked it. I liked it. So they took a step of faith. Started Five Daughter Donuts. I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's pretty awesome. So, and, you know, and what, less than two years. I mean, 70 employees and stores all over. And watching him at Men's Leadership Network, he was just lighting up like a Christmas tree. He was so excited about what God was doing and getting to shape the culture and getting to point people to Jesus. And I'm like, yeah, you're in your sweet spot. No wonder. Man, when you're in your sweet spot, it's exciting. Here's number four. Number four, learn from your past experiences. Learn from your past experiences. We, we've all been in the past that there's mistakes that we've made. There's things we've done right. But God redeems those. And maybe you've been through a tough time. You know what? You can help somebody else. You can help somebody else. See, God never wastes an experience. He just doesn't. And God's going to take that. Number five is this. Evaluate your opportunities. Evaluate your opportunities. What's God stirring in you? And what is God doing around you? And maybe God's put on your heart for, for your extended family to come to know Christ. And maybe there's a lot of people in your extended family who don't know Jesus, and, and it burns you. Start to pray about that. And then think about the opportunities that you have upcoming, and whether it's the holidays, or you're going, you're going to be with them. And, and man, say, hey, how can I minister to you? Maybe it's buying them a Bible. Maybe it's giving a book. Maybe it's prayer. I don't know, but look at those opportunities. Number six is this. Know what you want your legacy to be. Guys, know what you want your legacy to be. And many of you guys know my dad passed away in January. I love my dad. Just an awesome man of God. Love the Lord. Lived 85 years. And I was talking with a guy recently. He said, you know, it was at your dad's funeral that it really hit me. He said, because at your dad's funeral, nobody was talking about, you know, all his career success. Nobody was talking about, you know, all performance reviews. Nobody was talking about all that. What they were talking about was how your dad loved the Lord and how your dad was so involved in church and how he loved, you know, his wife, married 57 years, how he loved his kids. He said, I would stay at my job until 1230 or 1 at night. He goes, I, I wouldn't even round. And he said, I don't want that to be my legacy. I want my legacy to be a man after God's heart. And I just watched with tears in his eyes as this guy just said, you know what, I want to live for something more. What do you want your legacy to be? What do you want people to say about you? What do you want people to say, hey, this was the most important thing to them? And then here's number seven. Jump in heart first. <laughs> Just jump in. You see, God, God's not looking for ability. God's looking for availability. A lot of times we disqualify ourselves because we say, I don't know enough about the Bible. I don't, I, no, no, no. God's looking for availability. God's looking for people who just say, here I am, God. Here I am. <laughs> Use me. I have two, I have three daughters, but two, my youngest, you know, Kate, who's seven, and Mabry, who's 10. And, and you know, one of their favorite things is to get on the bed and then for me to stand there. And they just love to run and just jump. And they just go full born, man. I mean, and, you know, they're just like, catch me. And I catch them, you know, and we swing them around and I put them down and they run back on the bed and they say, take a step back, daddy. 
take a step back and they just, just dive off. And what's amazing, I have this snapshot picture in my mind and of them in the midair and they're not thinking, hey, I hope my dad catches me, you know? And they're not worried about, hey, what's gonna happen? They are just full on, boom, trust, faith, yes. And I love it. And every time, man, I just catch them and I hold them, I'm like, yeah, and we laugh. See, the fact is this, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. If you could trust God with your salvation, you could trust God with your life. The best is yet to be in you. Don't stop now. You go forward and you go forward in Christ because God is writing a great, great story. I wanna ask you to bow your head, close your eyes just for a moment, right where you are. What's God saying to you today? Maybe in your life, man. Maybe in your life you've been complacent and God's saying, oh, come on. I've got more. Maybe in your life God's been speaking to you about salvation or being baptized. Or maybe God's been speaking to you about going on a mission trip or, or leading a Bible study or being a part of the church. I don't know. But I know this, that God wants to awaken in us a greater passion for him than we've ever had. God wants to awaken in us this desire for him and him alone. And God wants to do immeasurably more than we could ever ask or ever imagine. And so, Father, here we are, your disciples today. Ordinary people, God, just like the people in the church in Philippi. And God, as your disciples, God, we commit our lives to you. And Father, we know that you aren't finished with us. And so Father, I pray that we would push past the fear. I pray that we would push past the worry or the doubt and we would trust. We would jump in heart first and experience all that you have for us. God, thank you for your presence this morning, for your word, for your truth. And thank you, God, for the gift of your son, Jesus, and that we are alive in Christ. God, the best is yet to be, and we trust you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen, amen.